It is free agency season, yes, in the WNBA. That also means prioritization season is nigh upon us. The great Isabel Rodriguez is here to talk about her in-depth piece, what it all means, and where we're going from here. Lockdown Women's Basketball starts now. Welcome Wallet for the win. You are Locked On Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Magdal, thanking you for making us your first listen Every day. And a reminder, it's not just me, of course. It is the entire incredible team over at the Nets that brings you Lockdown Women's Basketball six days a week. You can subscribe for $9 a month, $72 a year to the Nets over at thenetsgroups.com. You can check out the work that's being done, the breaking news, the analysis, and then the deep dives. And somebody who does the deep dives as well as anybody in this business is the great Isabel Rodriguez coming up on her one-year anniversary soon, being with us at the next and wrote an absolutely vital story about prioritization. Isabel, let's just start here for our listeners who may not understand. Define prioritization as it relates to the CBA, the WNBA here in 2023 and beyond. Sure. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me today. I'm so excited to talk about this because it's truly like one of the most interesting things I've ever gotten to write about. So prioritization um, when it comes to the WNBA um, and the 2020 CBA, that is now what's what's currently governing um, labor and um, labor rights in in the league, um, refers to the idea that when a player reaches a certain level of experience, um, I believe it's like two years roughly at this point, um, although who knows that might change in the future, but um, once they hit that level of experience, the league believes that they should prioritize the WNBA and being back on time for the start of the season. And the way that they enforce that, or that they would like to enforce that is by enforcing some fines um, and even in season like full season suspensions if a player of that experience level isn't back to a designated place by their team by their team at a certain time on a certain day in 2023 that day is like the start of the season um but in 2024 that day will be the start of training camp so it's going to ramp up um over the next two years um and the reason this is important is because a lot of times and we've seen this in the last two years especially um there's a significant number of players who are late to the start of training camp. Um, I think Alexa Philippou, who's now at ESPN, did some reporting at the Hartford Current um, a couple of years ago um, that outlined that there was a this, this big chunk of players who were late to training camp and how that affects the dynamic of the WNBA's early season. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are a lot of coaches who, who have reflected on like how kind of rough that those first couple of weeks can be both building team chemistry team dynamics especially when a lot of those players those more experienced players are your veteran leaders they're your bench players they're coming off the bench and supporting those like younger players who are coming into the league and so the WNBA wants those players to come back to the WNBA on time 
But why are they even away from the WNBA in the first place? It's because they don't make enough money for it to be a priority. <laughs> um, and so a lot of times those players are coming from overseas leagues that overlap. And so this is that rule is re- really getting at the at the heart of part of all this. And so it's vital. I mean, there's a lot to unpack within that. Even beyond training camp, you have routinely seen players, and as long as I've been covering this lead, you've seen it, missing regular season games too. People showing up game two, Uh three, and four, and it's not out of a lack of dedication to the craft or anything, just the opposite. I I have covered, and I I, I still to this day can't tell if it's like a happy story or an angry story or a sad story. (laughs) It's the fact that like Kayla McBride will come over routinely from playing overseas and like fly across the world and 24 hours later get on the court and Mm -hmm. it's inspirational oh my god it's amazing that she's able to do this it's dedication and you can see that too but it's also like why is Kayla McBride forced to make this choice and so the lead made this decision and you know to even kind of provide and ground in a little bit of the context for the listeners as well this stems out of the 2020 collective bargaining agreement that was signed January 2020, a couple of months before COVID hit. And at that moment, this was discussed, understood. It was part of what Sue Bird talked to me about on the day it was signed. Nick Odwumake talked to me about the day it was signed. This is a trade-off. We're going to get increased Mm -hmm. salaries, and there clearly are increased salaries. Overnight, max went from 119 to 215. You know, you saw uh, veteran minimum go from in the 40s to into the 70s. So like there was real yeah. money that did change and improve materially what players were able to earn. However, however, there are a couple of other moving parts to it. One being it's not dollar for dollar. It's not even close to dollar for dollar. And the other part of it is the massive influx of money that we are seeing in women's sports in the three years since not being reflected necessarily in the players and what they're able to earn here. So you fast forward three years and there's a couple of parts of this. One being that at the top level, even though there's been this jump, it's not to the extent that a lot of people, including people who negotiated this deal, believe reflect fairly where we ought to be salary wise. And then there's this other part, and this is maybe the bigger part. And this is the heart of the story that you wrote that everyone needs to go check out, which is that, that combination of increased salaries without an increased salary cap has mm-hmm. rushed the middle class of player here in the WNBA. So let's just start with the top line. Are we looking at a top line that you think reflects where the league's economics are right now? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously a lot of room to grow and I think the next like couple of years, especially as we get closer to that media deal that I feel like is looming on the horizon every day, it gets bigger and bigger um, as that comes closer. Yeah. Yeah. 2025. Um, Like once that kicks in, everything is going to change. So I can't really like speculate too far out, but in terms of where the league is right now, um, the, the economics really speak to who within the league, the WNBA itself prioritizes um, for lack of a better word. <laughs> um, I mean, we talk about a lot when it comes to league marketing agreements, who is used for promoting the league, um, like where those players are coming from, who they are. Um, a lot of times it is those top earners. Um, it is those, those people who are making either the max salary or near the max salary. 
Um, we don't really hear a lot about that middle class of players, um, especially those veterans who are in like the four to five year experience range at this point. Um, and those are the people that I found through all of this research are, are going to be the people most impacted um, and are in kind of the, the biggest limbo, um, so to speak, um, when it comes to balancing playing in the WNBA, which for a lot of players that I talk to is a lifelong dream that they've had for forever and is, is the thing they want to be doing, but balancing that with being able to make a steady income off of basketball, which is the thing that they want to make a career out of. Um, and so that balance is, is becoming increasingly more difficult for them to strike. Um, and especially when you factor in, you know, um, maybe wh where a player was coming from originally, whether they come from a background that is particularly wealthy or not, combined with like whether they have kids whether they're married or not like there's a lot of compounding factors that can make a player who's in that middle area like all the more difficult um that it might already be on its own <laughs> um and there's so yeah. much institutional knowledge that has mm -hmm. been a part of the wnba story dating back to its earliest days that when you have this gap between stars and rookies and veterans on the minimum mm -hmm. deal that is necessarily not including a lot of these players who can stick around and be kind of part of that connective tissue mm -hmm. of league's history. I, you know, I, I have some worries about that just purely from a team building perspective. And, and, it, and it gets to what you were talking about, which is, I, you know, I've been reporting, uh, Frank, I started reporting on the current CBA two and a half years before it came due. And a lot of those initial conversations with players was, you know, does it need to be dollar for dollar? And it doesn't. It doesn't need to be dollar for dollar because mm -hmm. the dream is to play in the WNBA before you even get into the fact that how much you make overseas is in some ways dictated by your level at the WNBA. So I, I, I want to I talk uh, more in segment two about the particulars, the people who are navigating it and sort of how we figure out what the next couple of years can look like, what sort of the aspirations are for it. First, I want to talk to the people at home about FanDuel. FanDuel is the official sports book of Locked On. The midway point of the NBA season is here. And so now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Isabel, I don't know if you had heard about this, um, but there is a National Basketball Association that was started has to be recently, and, and it is uh, for men to play basketball. Um, were you familiar with that? <laughs> right. I mean, I, I mean, finally, like, you know, for me, I just think, God, what an opportunity, finally, for men to occupy the sports space. So uh, if you go, you can get a no-sweat first bet of up to $1,000 at FanDuel. That is bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. You download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe secure and super easy to use and then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and even how many threes people make uh fanduel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay so don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet of up to a thousand dollars in bonus bets when you go to fanduel.com slash locked on that's fanduel.com slash locked on to learn more make every moment more with fanduel an official sports betting partner of the W, or excuse me, of the NBA. <laughs> Here's hoping it's the WNBA soon too. 
So <laughs> as we as we think through some of the specifics, I, I, I just want to highlight Kayla Davis, who was central to your narrative in the piece about prioritization. And man, just for the listeners at home to understand, Kayla, if this were the NBA landscape, this is how it would have gone. Because I watched her explode in the 2017 NCAA tournament mm -hmm. and absolutely dominate, reach another level. She's a big, versatile wing. She can do a lot of different things on the court at both ends. She comes from, you know, I don't know if people have heard of this program, South Carolina, but it's, it's <laughs> sort of up and coming, right? And so well, at the time, yeah. Well, <laughs> at the I, time. I mean, yeah, know. I guess. But like even by that, <laughs> like Dawn had taken them to a final four in 2015, you know, winning a national championship. I, I I don't know. I'm I'm prepared to say that they were like royalty by 2017. But okay. that's probably a whole other conversation. <laughs> and so, you know, she's a first round pick and she comes into this lead and establishes herself, but it's challenging because of the mm -hmm. roster. It's challenging for all these host of different reasons. So now we fast forward and here you're speaking to her in the fall and winter of 2022. So where is she five years on and how does it compare to where she thought she'd be? Yeah. Um, I think Kayla was the perfect person to talk to about all of this because she, not only did she go through the transfer process in college long before, you know, the transfer portal was, it was a huge thing. Mm -hmm. um, so she had to sit out a season in order to transfer to South Carolina. So yeah. she has that experience of shifting locker rooms. It's like something she's done for a long time. <laughs> um, but, you know, the idea was that when she got to Dallas, when she was drafted into the WNBA, you know, this is going to be somewhere that she's going to be for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, it's going to be somewhere where she might have stability. Um, but, you know, things don't always work out the way that you might seem. And I think, you know, part of the, the, both the rosters that you mentioned, it's really, really, really hard to make a WNBA roster. It might still be the hardest roster to make in women's sports at this point. Um, but because of that, because of the way that league positions are shifting um, and, and, you know, because of the trajectory of her career, she ends up coming off the bench more and slowly over time becomes relegated to more and more limited minutes yeah. And then, you know, in the 2022 season becomes more of a hardship, like journey woman player. She starts filling in on different rosters. She played in three different cities um, during the 2022 season, ended up in Phoenix, where she had kind of a miracle late run in the playoffs um, to help them basically finish that out on the last leg, yeah. um, literally because she was coming in for Shea Petty. <laughs> um, and, uh and she really made a kind of a final statement despite being in one of the weirdest positions that she'd been in um, for throughout her basketball career. I mean, changing three locker rooms in one season, which is, you know, only three months <laughs> is, is one of the more difficult things that you can do in, in the league. Um, and so by the time that I was speaking to her, I just want to point yeah. out what that, that journey that you're outlining here is not, singular right mm -hmm. it's not singular you this stat you had uh and you had a, a ton of just like eye catching stats but from 2019 to 2022 the number mm -hmm. of players on a standard full season contract dropped by nearly 26 percent and yeah. you see a lot of these people instead of having 
stability, even within the confines of a WNBA season, they're just mm -hmm. like traveling barnstormers, essentially. Absolutely. And, yeah, and a lot of that comes from the salary cap situation that we talked about. Obviously, players went, you know, the, the owners want to pay their top players as much as they possibly can. And that makes a lot of sense. And I'll never say that they shouldn't be doing that no um, doubt. because, no doubt. you know, we raise the max salary for a reason. Um, but I mean, when the, I when the players to make up the $700,000, can you tell me some of the players? <laughs> oh, uh, we could talk about the $700,000. Okay. That's all. But when the, <laughs> but when the salary cap itself does not um, increase alongside of these increasing max salaries and minimum salaries, all of a sudden you have a situation where in order to pay your max players more, you're sacrificing the bulk of your roster um, in terms of these like middle tier players who are making the vet minimums. A lot of times they end up getting replaced by rookie players because their salaries are just that much less that it ends up fitting into the roster. And then all of a sudden you have this influx of players who either started on one team and then get cut or waived early on in the season and just bounce around on these hardship contracts where they're making like thousands of dollars singular <laughs> um, to play a couple of games here and there. And then they expire and maybe they get picked up somewhere else. Maybe they don't. And it's like the most uncertain place that you can be both from a financial standpoint, because you don't know how much you're actually going to make until you finish the end of your contract. Right. Um, from a healthcare standpoint, because as soon as you're waived or cut, that's gone as well. Um, and then also, um, just in terms of an emotional standpoint, a housing standpoint, being close to your family, like all of these different things compound when you're in this situation of having to move from place to place. Um, it, and, I, I just, yeah. it's just so notable to me that something, and, and I don't think there's so much blame here to go around between the W and the Players Association. It's a new system. There are always, there are always unintended consequences when you push Absolutely. and pull. so complicated. But what's fascinating to me is a thing that was designed in large part to try and make it more secure as a means of making a living to play professional mm -hmm. basketball here in the United States has made it hard for a significant number of the very people you want most to be doing this beyond the star of stars, uh, you know, in, in a way that I, I think having negative ramifications, not just for the players, but for the teams as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that chemistry building that we talked about at the beginning, where it's so difficult at the start of the season when you don't have your key players there, you know, they're missing games here and there. They maybe they miss training camp because they're still coming over. That's being exported into the actual season itself because all of a sudden, like, you're bringing in new people all the time. Um, and it's not to say that like signing people mid-season is an uncommon thing. It happens all the time. Oh, but no. when you're changing out and rotating through your like veteran bench players on a regular basis and you're bringing in new faces all the time, you know, new players on seven-day contracts, like all of this stuff, it affects the dynamic of a team. It really does. <laughs> the difference between the 11th or 12th player and it being somebody who is part of your rotation, a critical part of your rotation. God knows how many conversations mm -hmm. I've had with GMs over the past few years where you say, this is a player we are relying on, and now we got to get her through waivers in the middle of the season as a salary cap trick because it's a hard cap 
because it's a tap that is unforgiving in all of these different ways. It just strikes me, I, I you know, from a lead comp competition standpoint alone, figuring ways to ease that would make a lot of sense in a proactive way. So before I let you go, I, I want to talk about, and and I, as always, we, we never get to everything we want to talk about. So we'll, we got to, <laughs> We got to have you back here again really soon. But I just the specifics of like between now and 2025, which mm -hmm. now, unfortunately, because expansion's been pushed back, there's not even that revenue stream coming in. Uh, mm -hmm. We get into the issues uh, of waiting for a media rights deal now for several years. And mm -hmm. so given all of that, what from the players you spoke to, is sort of the number one hope and dream of how we fix short term this issue of turnover among you know some of the vital members of this league. Yeah, I think there are two main things that that stuck out to me, both from the players I talked to and just reviewing the data and looking at where we are right now. Mm -hmm. um, the first thing is is really that hard salary cap, um, and and figuring out like whether it's a flexible cap or just getting like rid of it entirely, like trying to be more flexible with how we pay players and thinking about cash infusions, like the PHF just had one um, more recently um, where we can, you know, support players in the short term um, and accept like a short term solution um, before we build up to the next CBA. And the CBA opt out date is going to be another big timeline um, kind of data point to look at in the future because it'll be right after prioritization but just before the media deal I believe so it's it's kind of in that weird limbo spot of when the players will have the option to opt out of this current CBA and start working on a new one mm -hmm. um and you know from players I spoke to like that's already like starting to come to mind is is opting out of this current one so that will certainly be something to think about um is, is be, what to do about salaries. <laughs> um, it's really going to be fascinating. And right. I, I, I'm, I'm really eager to see how that conversation evolves over this time. Because again, you know, even just to take it back full circle, back in 2020, this was understood, I think, on both sides as a risk. And mm -hmm. so, okay, so now we're here and we're about a year out. It's fascinating to me, incidentally, that we've seen very few players not re-signing because of prioritization this year. Mm -hmm. So then the question is, okay, so uh, they are going to face the same issue next year. How does yeah. it work? Notice Brianna Stewart signs a one-year contract. This, mm -hmm. it's common. It's common. It is. It really is. And I think that that the influx of one-year contracts has been really interesting, especially the folks who have chosen to pick up multi-year deals have been even more interesting um, and why they're they're choosing to do that and talking to those players in the coming weeks is going to be really fascinating. Um, but yeah, so that was the that's like the first kind of big thing. And then the second thing um, is just figuring out their relationship with FIBA um, and these domestic leagues overseas. Um, is how Because at least from what Jackie Powell and I have, have done a lot of research about and have talked about extensively over time, you know, um, the WNBA thinks that it's done a lot in terms of accommodating FIBA and they've been very open about that. Yeah. Um, and FIBA believes that they've been very accommodating of the WNBA and they've been very open about that. And so it's kind of coming to an arms race at this point of who is going to be able to amass as many players as possible. Um, and, and 
it's going to have to be something that we figure out because the schedules are just impossible. I mean, we've heard a lot about it at the World Cup this year because it because it happened at the time that it did. Yeah. But the schedule that some of these players are are working on right now is absolutely ridiculous when you take a step back and look at it. I mean, I just encourage everybody to just go look at how and where Alyssa Thomas has been playing since she came off of that Achilles injury. Just go take a look at it. And and then I think that will give you a clear picture of what some players have been doing for years before this point. And, um, the, and the lead footprint is getting bigger, not smaller. The lead right? is about 40 games this year. That's mm-hmm. not going away. The lead, as it intends to negotiate a new media rights deal, needs more inventory, not less. It's exactly. it's absolutely fascinating. I love that you're on top of it for us. Um, anyone who is not following Isabel, I-S-A-B-E-L, B-A-R-R-O-S-O-7-8 on Twitter as long as Twitter exists. If you're not seeing that on your YouTube uh, version of our podcast, make sure you follow Isabel. I followed her a little under a year ago and knew immediately that she had to come join us at the next. I am delighted every day since she was here with us. And thank you to all our listeners for listening to Locked on Women's Basketball and making it your first listen today. Now make your second listen, Game to Game NBA. Every moment, every top performance, every result from that lead I was telling you about earlier, Isabel. Locked on Game to Game NBA covers every game from across the NBA with local analysis that only Locked On can deliver. Follow Game to Game on Locked on NBA, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get podcasts. Um, there are Two other teams that are probably not as likely to bring a championship to New York as the New York mm-hmm. Liberty, um, but they're the, the the Knicks. Is it? Do I, do I? Is a K is silent, right? Yeah, something about that word haunts my every waking nightmare. The so. Knicks, <laughs> and then the Nets, who? Okay. Um, and but the Nets actually, to be fair, um, they have a super team with uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Um, and James Harden, you know, they're all, I, I'm sorry, I'm getting word that none of them are still there. So the super okay. team in Brooklyn. They decided that the team named after a piece of equipment was maybe not the, the most fun place to be. And not even like the piece of equipment that people like the most. <laughs> not even like if you were like the top five, it wouldn't, well. All right. So anyway, we'll talk more about prioritization and the, the best of all net as a noun and an entity another time. Isabel Rodriguez, thank you for your time to our listeners. Thank you for being with us. Uh, Please join us tomorrow uh, where the great Natalie Heverin will have you covered. And then on Saturday, uh, Hunter Cruz will take you through uh, everything you need to know about the WNBA draft. So until then, I am Howard Megdahl wishing you all a wonderful Thursday. Welcome to Wallet. You are Locked On Women's Basketball, your daily podcast on women's basketball. 